Guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Ecclesiastes 5.1 He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. Ecclesiastes 5.10 Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun for the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 18 through 20. Welcome back to my Bible study podcast. I'm Brian, and we're continuing our walk through the books of Ecclesiastes and Philippians. We're just about halfway through the entire study, so that might be exciting for some of you and sad for others. Hopefully you've enjoyed us walking through these two books concurrently and just talking about subjects like identity and joy. Today we're covering all of Ecclesiastes chapter 5, even though we won't be reading every verse from it. Solomon, the widely believed author of the book of Ecclesiastes, has used his vast wisdom and his vast experience to describe the futility of finding superficial identity in things like our careers, our possessions, in sex, and in money. Things that seem tempting to pursue and that promise fulfillment, but that never really prove enough to actually satisfy us. The goal of all of this is not to conclude that there's no purpose in our lives, but that our purpose and our joy should instead come from an identity rooted in God, in fearing the Lord, in obeying his word, and in trusting in Jesus. Chapter 5 does not deviate from those primary themes, and we actually see the chapter walk us through the entire transition. The chapter starts with a comparison between people who humbly come before God, willing to listen and obey against those who are kind of boastful and prideful people who merely display religious activity but don't have a heart behind it. So these first handful of verses, they're more like proverbs for wise living in a way that fears God and that honors his commands. Then we get a list of vanities, which includes fantasies, empty words, trying to accumulate wealth, perverting one's authority, and striving for a bigger income. It's a list of things that are futile to build your identity around because they all fall short. And then the last three verses talk about finding contentment and enjoyment in the gifts God has provided us in this world, the work that he's given us, the wealth he's provided us, the pleasures that we have been given. Solomon says to eat and drink and find enjoyment in the gifts God has provided under the sun, but to remember that God is the one who has provided them. Then the chapter closes, that for the one who turns to Jesus, who fears God, that person won't dwell in all the ups and downs of life because they will find steady joy in God instead, and they will receive an eternity of joy in the presence of God. So I pray that this episode will help be a reminder to us to come humbly and wholeheartedly to God, ready to listen to his words. And then that we would allow those words to transform us in a way that allows us to find contentment and joy in our lives now, while also encouraging us to the full joy Christians will experience for eternity to come. Let's dive in. 
guard your steps when you go to the house of God. To draw near to listen is better than to offer the sacrifice of fools, for they do not know that they are doing evil. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty to utter a word before God, for God is in heaven and you are on earth. Therefore let your words be few, for a dream comes with much busyness and a fool's voice with many words. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 1 through 3. So God is God, and if we truly believe in him, then we cannot come before him in false worship, empty gestures, and careless words. To fear God is to have a reverence for God. It's to come before him willing to listen to his words, willing to acknowledge that his ways and his commands are greater and better than my selfish ways. Listening to God's word intently on the inside is greater than merely looking religious on the outside. Conversations with our God that are genuine and humble are far greater than rash and empty words uttered for our own pride. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself warns against foolish and selfish worship. Matthew 6.5 says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And then Matthew 6-7 continues, And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. False and half-hearted worship, it's just vanity. But genuinely fearing and revering God, it's not. That's life-giving. And it's all about the heart, having a humble heart, a heart shaped by what Jesus did on the cross for us. And as we'll cover next episode, it's a heart that is mirrored after Jesus' own heart. Jesus, who Paul will say in Philippians chapter 2, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. If you see in a province the oppression of the poor and the violation of justice and righteousness, do not be amazed at the matter, for the high official is watched by a higher, and there are yet higher ones over them, but this is gain for a land in every way, a king committed to cultivated fields. Ecclesiastes 5 verses 8 and 9. So we've talked about this before, but we live in a fallen world, and because of that we will see corruption and wickedness. Solomon says that a king who is committed to increasing the resources of a country is a gain for the land. But that doesn't always happen. We shouldn't be surprised at oppression and injustice handed out by the people in power. Ambitious and prideful people like flexing and abusing their authority. As Christians who believe what the Bible says about striving toward justice, we cannot turn a blind eye to injustice. But we shouldn't be surprised that people in positions of authority pervert those positions to maintain or even increase their own power. Just remember though, God watches over all and he sees all the perversions of authority. And God sits in the position of ultimate authority. And God is a God of justice and righteousness. We all answer to someone. In this world we might answer to our boss or our parents or whoever. But we will all also have to answer to the highest authority one day. Don't lose hope that there is no justice. Instead, trust in the gospel, 
hope in Jesus and know that as a Christian, your citizenship is ultimately in a kingdom free from wickedness and corruption. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. When goods increase, they increase who eat them, and what advantage has their owner but to see them with his eyes? Sweet is the sleep of a laborer, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 10 through 12. So this passage isn't just about how if you gorge yourself with ice cream, you'll get a stomach ache and you won't be able to sleep. It's about that word hevel that we've talked about before. The Hebrew word that shows up over and over again in Ecclesiastes. It's most often translated as vanity. But it means vapor or mist, something that seems promising but that you can't truly grasp, that won't actually fulfill you. It's about the empty promises of wealth and income and gluttony here in this passage. And it's about a cycle that chasing them can produce. We chase money for what we think money can bring us. And when we get that money and those things, we aren't content, so we move the goalposts on ourselves and we have to seek more. We search out more money, more wealth, more gluttony, hoping that the new surplus will also give us that extra enjoyment. That there won't be a diminished returns on our wealth hoarding. But rich people can experience depression, and we hear stories all the time about wealthy individuals who lose everything. We've all heard phrases like, money can't buy happiness, or more money, more problems. Yet almost all of us would say, if I just had a little more, then I would be good. I would be content. But let's be honest with ourselves for a minute. We've been saying that same thing to ourselves ever since we were kids and we thought that that one more Hot Wheels car, or that one more video game, would make us happy and content. It turns out if we turn to the things of this world for our contentment, then we're never going to be satisfied. We just aren't wired that way. We will never be satisfied by the things of this world because we were never meant to be. God designed us to enjoy what he has given us, but also to look toward him for our ultimate satisfaction. There is a grievous evil that I have seen under the sun. Riches were kept by their owner to his hurt. And those riches were lost in a bad venture, and he is father to a son, but he has nothing in his hand. As he came from his mother's wombs, he shall go again, naked as he came, and shall take nothing from his toil that he may carry away in his hand. This also is a grievous evil. Just as he came, so shall he go, and what gain is there to him who toils for the wind? Moreover, all his days he eats in darkness, in much vexation, and sickness and anger. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 13 through 17. So verses 13 through 17 here cover anxiety and stress, how we worry about all the things of this world and the things that we have accumulated. What's going to happen to them we worry about? There is a line in this passage that I absolutely love. What gain is there to him who toils for the wind? So if we work and we work and we work trying to attain something that we're never going to be satisfied with, what gain is there in that? Solomon says that focusing on this will lead to much vexation, sickness, and anger. And this is exactly what medical and psychology fields are finding out, right? Like when we stress and we stress and we work ourselves constantly trying to satisfy our own worldly appetites, 
then it leads to so many negative things. Our anxieties rise. We have a harder time sleeping. We tend to have more negative health outcomes like sicknesses. We're subject to mood swings and being bitter and angry at people more. Like the Bible has said from the start, if you get sucked into the things of this world, you are more likely to fall into anxiety, sickness, and anger. But, but, if you press into Jesus as the source of your identity, then you are more likely to find contentment and peace in ways the world just can't ever offer. You can love Jesus fully and still have anxiety and health problems and pain and suffering. Like, this isn't a health and prosperity promise. It's a contentment and a heart change promise. And that contentment and that heart transformation, it can produce a joy that transcends whatever circumstances we have going on around us. Behold, what I have seen to be good and fitting is to eat and drink and to find enjoyment in all the toil with which one toils under the sun the few days of his life that God has given him. For this is his lot. Everyone also to whom God has given wealth and possessions and power to enjoy them and to accept his lot and rejoice in his toil. This is the gift of God. For he will not much remember the days of his life, because God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Ecclesiastes 5, verses 18 through 20. Solomon doesn't say look for joy only in the momentary pleasures of this life. But he also says that this life doesn't have to be miserable while you wait for a future joy either. It's not a one or the other choice. Instead, he is saying that an identity founded in God can find joy in both this current life and for eternity to come. As a Christian, you don't have to wait for Jesus' return to find joy and contentment and peace. You can enjoy God right now, and you can certainly enjoy the gifts that God has provided us. Just remember that those gifts aren't always material in nature, and that those gifts alone should never be our pursuit. That's why the passage ends with joy. For the person who leans into God, who fears God, who reveres God, and who seeks a life of humble obedience, it says God keeps him occupied with joy in his heart. Thanks for listening. Unless otherwise noted, all Bible verses are from the English Standard Version, or ESV, Bible Translation, which is a copyright 2001 by Crossway, a publishing ministry of Good News Publishers. Next episode, we'll cover one of my favorite passages in the entire Bible, Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Until then, though, I love y'all.